0: So, traditional climbing gear, will you put gear into the rock? The person climbing after you will take the gear out of the rock, and that that person climbing after you will be on top rope, on an anchor that you built by putting more of these cams or nuts or hexes or all the the wonderful traditional gear that is available.
1: This is the Adventure Sports podcast where we talk to athletes, adventurers, and business owners from around the world of adventure sports. Whether you're climbing Mount Everest, starting a bike shop, or getting up off your couch to take your kids hiking for the first time, we want you to have the motivation and inspiration you need to chase that next adventure. The Adventure Sports Podcast is brought to you by Camp Crate, the leaders in fully planned, self-guided backpacking adventures, as well as backpacking gear rental. You can check them out at campcrate.net. It is almost that time of year, folks. The snow is melting. Ice is coming off the rocks. And people are going to be out climbing soon. And if it's something you haven't tried yet, I suggest giving it a shot. And today we have Nolan Hurd. This is the throwback episode. We have Nolan Hurd talking about rock climbing 101. Uh, He's been on the show before. And climbing is a, you know, it's a cool thing right now. You know, it's definitely in. So if you want to be a part of it. I suggested. You know, there's a reason it's it's so gaining in popularity. It's an awesome sport. It can be daunting for first timers. You know, it's not like backpacking where you just throw it on your back and start hiking, or a bike where you most people know how to ride a bike. Not everyone <laughs> grew up knowing exactly how to climb and climb safely. Uh, so this is by no means uh, extensive. Uh, but it is a start for you to understand some of the lingo and terminology, um, some of the jargon that climbers use. Uh, but anyway, uh, a few announcements, patrons, thank you so much for all our new patrons. You can go to patreon.com slash adventure sports podcast. If you'd like to become a supporter of the show, we suggest five bucks a month. Easy. You're, you're basically buying us a, a couple coffees a month. Unless it's at McDonald's and you're, you can buy us five copies. If it's at Starbucks, maybe like one and a half. Sometimes not even one. Jeez. <laughs> but aside from that, we have a big announcement coming on Monday. So please be listening for that. Uh, a lot of fun things are coming next month. And we, we, we want our, all our listeners to be ready for it. There will be a lot of uh, show sponsors starting in the month of April. So uh, be ready for that as well. Hey, they pay the bills and we're happy to have them. So if you just give them a listen, give those sponsor messages a listen as well as check out the companies. If there's any deals that you could use, anything you think that would make a good gift for you or some family members or some friends, use the code. Also, speaking of sponsors, this show is brought to us by Peak Refuel Freeze-Dried Meals. You've heard me talk about them many, many times before. They provide the best freeze-dried, ready-to-cook meals I've ever had. It take about a cup and a third of water, take 10 minutes to cook, and you can have incredible food in the backcountry. Go to peakrefuel.com and use ASP20 at checkout. All right, let's get into this episode. Rock Climbing 101. Hi, guys. Welcome again to the Adventure Sports Podcast. Thank you
2: so much for tuning in today. We've got a great show for you, and we have Nolan Hurd. Now, Nolan was with us back in episode 253 last winter, and he told us about backcountry skiing. It was BC 101 was the episode, and it was a great intro into how to do backcountry skiing and be safe with backcountry skiing. Today he's here to do a similar episode, but this one is Climbing 101, and particularly Technical Climbing 101, Roped Climbing 101 is what we're going to talk about. So um, Nolan grew up in Texas, moved to Colorado, has been going to the School of Mines, and just graduated last month. Congratulations, man.
0: Oh, thank you. I am glad to be done.
2: Yeah, that's awesome. And he is working now at Bentgate. He does clinics. He works on the floor. He does a lot of their internet stuff as well. But we're excited to have him here today to give us kind of an introductory podcast clinic for climbing. So, Nolan, welcome to the program.
0: Oh, thank you for having me back, Kurt. I'm really excited to be here.
2: That's awesome. We really appreciate you taking the time. Again, we love these kind of one oh one sessions that we can have because people that don't already do a sport get a really good insight to what a sport is about. And people that already are, you know, hot and heavy in a sport almost always pick up something that they're like, oh, man, yeah, I wish I would have thought of that earlier, you know. Um, let's start, though, Nolan, if you would, by telling people what Bent Gate is.
0: So, Binkate, we're a local mountaineering shop based in Golden, Colorado. We do, basically, we say we can outfit you from everything from going to the resort to ski to climbing Mount Everest, and we have the best selection of climbing gear on the Front Range by far. Um, Everyone that works here is super passionate about the outdoors, so we really enjoy having customers come in and ask us questions or talk to us about, even just to come and be like, hey, I'm thinking about going and climbing here. Has anyone climbed this before? Um, I did that exact thing before I worked here and got a lot of really good beta on some walls out in uh, Zion National Park. And now I can now I go climbing with the guy that gave me that information on a pretty regular basis because we work together. So that's a really great shop, super local and a lot of good people.
2: Yeah. And our listeners know a lot about Bent Gate because you guys have been advertising with the Adventure Sports Podcast almost from the beginning. And we're very thankful for that. Um, Obviously, from our ads, everyone will know. Bent Gate does a lot of uh, ski gear-type stuff in the wintertime, lots of ski mountaineering gear and backcountry skiing gear. And then for the summertime, they focus a lot on climbing gear, but they also have – you guys have the full array of camping gear and backpacking gear as well, so I love your shop. It's just the right size, has everything you need, but it's not overwhelming, so really cool place to go. And, of course, for people that are out of state – Bentgate.com. You guys have a great uh, lineup there where people can do an online business with Bentgate. So wanted to throw that out there, but let's get into climbing. Um, All right. You know, just to kind of entertain us a little bit, Nolan, will you start out by telling us about an incredible climb that you had, a day that was just really memorable, one of the reasons that you love to climb?
0: Oh, man. Okay. The reasons I love to climb is it's just it's freeing it's uh, you get to kind of you get in this space where you're just climbing and you're focused on the rock and you're getting high off the ground and then when you get done with the climb you're normally at the top of this beautiful location and you can just kind of take it all in and you worked hard to get there and you had a lot of fun the movement becomes really fun and the uh the challenges that you face along with weather and gear selection and timing just all of that creates these super great experiences. And you're always, almost always doing it with a partner. So you're sharing that experience with someone and you create these great friends. And uh, my best friends are all my best climbing partners mm. because we spend so much time together. And yes, but a great, one of my favorite climbs I ever did was the Petite Pond up in Rocky Mountain National Park. It's an ultra classic I'm sure some of you that know the route just groaned and went, oh gosh, I know all about this route. But for those of you that don't, it looks kind of like the Eiffel Tower uh, from when you look at it from the side and you climb up this really exposed south face um, on using traditional gear and it's, you end up on the top of this little, this top of the pillar and it's about a three foot by eight foot area that you and your partner stand on. And you have these great views of the lock Vale Valley and you, you can see all these things. And that when I went out and did that with uh with one of my partners, it was, we had great weather, blue skies, no afternoon thunderstorms. We did it super quick, came down and we we're like, you know, we got some time to kill. It's we're kind of hot. Let's jump, get naked and jump in the Alpine Lake. Um, and we ended up, <laughs> doing that and then we saw all these tourists on the other side of the lake and we're like oops um but that's kind of part of the climbing culture is having that that kind of sense of adventure and having fun and you know getting to just jump in the water and it was cold like we hit the water and we're trying to get out as quickly as possible but just adding those sorts of things to climbing is such a great experience because it takes you to places and lets you have these experiences that you wouldn't have otherwise oh yeah so where is this petite um it's in the lock vale in rocky mountain national park um, pretty far, basically about as far back as you can get in the drainage. You can, of course, go a little farther, but uh, you park at the Glacier Forge parking lot and hike four and a half miles, about. Um, if you take the Climbers Trail the other way, the, 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 like, standard trail, I think, is about five and a half or six. So,
2: so a pretty good approach. Yeah,
0: yeah, good approach. We started early. Unlike um, all rocky approaches, it's windy and but it's a, again, it's it's a beautiful approach too though because you're hiking through these the uh, the Alpine glades, and then you, you get above tree line and then you're walking through snow fields if you go earlier in the season and then you hit the talus fields and there's just no trees left and there's this beautiful Alpine Lake. You need to climb this really pretty feature that has great climbing, great movement, um, just a lot of fun. And it just, climbing takes you to these places that you wouldn't go otherwise and I mean, for me, I I don't like to hike all that much without an objective in mind. So, that's about the only way you get me to just go. Oh, let's go on a hike. I'm like, awesome! But we're bringing a rope and we're going to climb something. <laughs> and you know, you just add a little bit. You can start doing that. You start adding climbing into your your adventures. So,
2: oh, that's fun. That's really fun. So, I'm trying to set my mindset to that of the person who hasn't climbed before, and and try to think of some of the questions that they have going through their minds right now. Uh, Novice question number one, is it safe?
0: So safety is, you know, a relative term. Um, Is it safe to get in your car and drive down the highway every day? Is it safe to use a dull knife in the kitchen? Is it like safety is a relative term. Now, can you control the risk in climbing? Absolutely. Um, You can control and mitigate risk in a various number of ways to ensure that you have a very long climbing career. Um, People that die from climbing, normally you can, if you look at the accident reports um, that the American Alpine Club publishes every year, you'll see a lot of the times it's, they, they didn't check something or they didn't go through these set of processes that a lot of us use to ensure that we are as safe as we can be every time we go climbing. So to answer your question that roundabout way, Overall, yes, it is a very safe sport, um,
2: but it's it's really about managing the risk through proper knowledge and practicing proper techniques with the right gear.
0: Right, correct. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Like most outdoor activities, if you don't have the right safety equipment, you don't have the right gear, and you don't have the right training. That's when stuff goes wrong, or when you choose to not use your training or your gear or your- yeah, um, that also will can lead to some pretty nasty stories. So sure. yeah, when you're starting, get the gear and get the knowledge and get the training, um, and that'll help you to have a really long climbing career.
2: Well, here's novice question
0: number two: Is it scary? Absolutely. Oh my <laughs> god. <laughs> um, I don't know a single climber who doesn't have. Certain types of climbing, or certain things that just get into their head and uh, makes them scared. I mean, the most obvious one is the heights. A lot of people were were naturally scared of heights, and it's something that you you learn to overcome. My my best friend and climbing, my longest term climbing partner, when he started climbing, he was ter- Like he wouldn't go up a ladder. He was so scared of heights. Um, And now we've done 1500 foot walls out in the desert together because you that learning to control and overcome that fear is one of the reasons climbing is so much fun is this mental challenge of like, oh, I really don't want to do this. And what if I fall? And, you know, that, you know, like you're going to be okay if you fall, but it's still there because it's just this you're fighting this like built in fear and actually overcoming that is a really, really cool feeling. Um, and you can again you can choose how scared you want to be by selecting route difficulty or sticking to uh shorter climbs and uh or climbing something that's really well protected or climbing it on top rope but you can definitely dial the fear back a whole lot or you can really get on some spicy routes for your every move you're going oh my gosh this is terrifying so. <laughs>
2: You know, way back in college, I remember in a psychology class, I think it was, they explained that universally humans are born with three fears. I think it was three, and I'm going to try to name them. And if I mess up you psychologists out there, put a comment on our site to straighten me out. But one of the fears was the fear of loud noises, that little babies are scared by loud noises. And another fear was a fear of being alone, I believe it was. Just being isolated and and alone. And the third fear was a fear of heights. That these three fears are common at birth to everybody. And then every other fear that you have in your life is something you taught yourself or someone taught you. But the fear of heights is innate. It's part of what it means to be human.
0: Yeah. Makes sense. You don't want to fall off a cliff.
2: (laughs) No. I think... uh, you know, when I climb, even though I've, I've climbed for years, I still, my, my mouth will dry out and I'll feel that little adrenaline kick um, just because it just feels unnatural to get exposed that high off the ground. And I, I never yes. do get used to it. But one thing that I do, Nolan, is I'll go somewhere that, where there's a, a significant amount of exposure where I can sit safely and I'll just sit down and stay there until the fear subsides and I can relax. And that's just kind of my way of of learning to deal and manage it. But what do you do?
0: Uh, I highline a lot. So I rig a slack line up um, pretty, like at least 30 to 40 feet off the ground and normally between two cliffs or two sides of a gully and try and walk across the one inch piece of webbing, uh, stand up on it and walk across while tied to it. And that exposure and the line wiggling and, um, just everything going on and being just totally out in space really forces you to do exactly what you're talking about is is dial in that that like comfort being comfortable being that exposed and that out in space and highlighting takes it to another level because what you're standing on is wiggling and you're, it it's awesome so that's really helped me a lot with my uh, my mental game and when i've been climbing so
2: yeah, that I I've seen pictures on your Instagram of you doing that and it just looks terrifying <laughs> to be candid, man. Oh, it is. To be out there oh, my like gosh, that. It is. Yeah, but here's a question for you about that. Um your webbing is static, right? It's not dynamic.
0: Uh no. So, most webbing that we use to uh, to highline with, it ranges of course depending on there's different blends and weaves and all sorts of stuff, but there's webbing that's as stiff as a static webbing um like three and a half to five and a half percent stretch and then you get webbings that have 20 to 30 percent stretch and so you can get a whole range of, of and then you have to think about the attention you put into the line and how tight it is and what that does to the line and the, the weight of the webbing and the length of the line and you get into all these other variables and you know people have their preferences some people like a really tight uh, stretchy line. Some people like a really loose static line and, uh, it's all preference and, you know, you just kind of learn to walk, walk a whole bunch of stuff. Well,
2: I guess the reason I asked is I was thinking about, you know, if you're uh, if your safety leash, if your safety line that you have (laughs) tied to the line and tied to your harness, you know, it, it's long enough that it doesn't bind you up while you're trying to move. So that means if you fall, you could actually take a pretty good drop before that thing catches you. Um, oh
0: yeah Highline whippers are terrifying wow um, you fall about about nine to 12 feet because the rope inside the leash so it's a web it's a dynamic climbing rope um, protected by a piece of climb of climbing webbing and then the uh, the line has a lot of give to it so that's part it's a dynamic system right so they're not really that hard of falls it's just it's scary, but you, you hit the bottom and you kind of bounce around and then it becomes fun. Uh, or you learn for it to become fun. And, uh, <laughs> yeah.
2: I think I would you have to take- jump on purpose a few times just to overcome it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Some people do that. I, uh, could never I just learn from falling <laughs> enough times. So wow, yeah, it's a really fun sport.
2: Yeah. That's crazy. That's crazy. we could do a whole show on slack lining and, and high lining and all that kind of stuff. And that would be a lot of fun too. But let's get back to rock climbing mm-hmm. because that's the main yes. focus of our show. But that is an awesome way to overcome fear of heights. I guarantee you that. That's, yeah. <laughs> it just looks crazy yeah. to see people up there doing that. And I slackline close to the ground. You know, I think it's amazing exercise. So good for your core strength and your balance and, and uh, your dexterity, all of that. So I love to do yeah. it. But I've never done it more than about four feet up.
0: Yeah. I mean, slack was developed by climbers um, using just their standard climbing webbing. Uh, they say it was developed in camp four is where it first kind of they started using it as a rest day activity to work on exactly that balance, core strength, dexterity and help them uh, with the uh, the fear of being exposed. And it just kind of has progressed from there. So it is actually really related to climbing.
2: Mm. Yeah, no doubt. Well, we've done previous shows on rock climbing and especially stuff like what the different types of routes are um, climbing in the gym and that sort of thing. So we might be able to gloss over some of the, the very beginner level stuff. I'd like to jump into how do you transition from gym climbing to climbing out on the crags where you're actually outside on the rocks? I think that a lot of people already know what gym climbing is somewhat about if they listen to our show. So how do you make that transition? What do you need and, and how do you do it?
0: So the first thing that you really need is is the knowledge of how to be, be safe outside. In um, gym, they, they take care of all like the ropes and make sure everything's good to go and that the anchors are good and that you're, they've mitigated the risk as much as they can for you already. So,
1: as soon as you leave that
0: gym, it becomes your responsibility. Um, a great way to get that knowledge is to go out with a guide. Uh, hire a guide for like a day, maybe two, and tell them, hey, I just want to learn how to climb outside safely. If you're just top roping, uh, the first big thing you really want to learn is how to build an anchor and how to set an anchor and then how to clean an anchor. Um, and with that, that applies to sport climbers as well, but if you're just top roping, that's very important to know how to do because that's what you're you're then hanging off of. Um, and a great acronym for anchor building is Ernst, and they we teach this. They teach this at, to guides. They teach this climbing instructors, and it stands for equalized, redundant, no extension, safe, meaning that it's strong, safe or strong, and then timely that you did it correctly, and but you did it in a, a manner where you can still have time to climb. If it takes you all day to build an anchor, you don't get to climb. But uh, those are all very important <clears throat> parts of an anchor. And you know, if you want to know more, there's a lot of books on them, or go look up, look up Ernst, or go and you know, like I said, talk to a guide, hire a guide, come into Bankate. Uh We love to talk, tell people more about it. But that's really important to remember that principle and apply it. Uh, and if you're, you're lead climbing, you know, make sure that you're a competent lead climber in the gym, uh, that you know how to clip, you know, how to, how to clip, clip, clip a quick draw to a bolt. And once you, you're comfortable getting to the top of uh, gym climbs, uh, again, you need to know how to build your anchor. And then you also need to learn how to clean your anchor. And what cleaning involves is getting to the top of the climb, um, clipping in direct, uh, to the bolts or at the top of the climb. And then <clears throat> you uh, have to learn how to take the anchor off and then repel safely back down to the ground. And those are kind of the two big hurdles that's different than the gym is the is the anchor building and the cleaning.
2: Anchor building and cleaning. Let's go back just a little bit. You started out by saying, so if you're top roping, you have to build your anchor and most people know what that is probably but what is top roping for those that have never even heard of the sport
0: so top roping is when the rope is always above you um you you and your belayer both start at the ground and the rope runs from the climber up to an anchor and back down to the belayer so you're you're both connected and you always have as you climb up your belayer takes in rope so if you fall off the rock you really Should only It should really be more like you're sitting down onto the rope than actually falling.
2: And so top roping means you're going to set your anchor at the top before you even start climbing. Correct. And uh, you're never in a position where you're going to really fall. You're just going to lean back onto the rope if, if things go wrong. Absolutely. Okay, so then setting your anchor, that's what's holding the rope at the top. And you had the Ernst acronym, and that was, let's go through the words
0: again, equalize. Redundant
2: redundant
0: no extension
2: no extension
0: safe or strong
2: safe strong and timely and timely will you give us just a a one sentence to explain what this means
0: yeah so equalized means that the you're typically going to be clipping two bolts at the top so it just means that you're sharing the load equally amongst those two bolts um, redundant means that if one of those bolts were to fail or, um, whatever you're using to create your anchor, the cord or webbing or a carabiner is to fail, um, you still have a backup. Right. No extension means that if something is to fail, um, the anchor is not going to, uh, go a very long way on that, whatever that failure point was and allow the rest of the system to be shock loaded, uh, which can cause it to break more. Okay. Safe just means 5,000 uh, pounds. Everything in your anchor should be rated and hold up to 5,000 pounds. And timely just means you know what you're doing, you're competent, and you do it, you do it well, and you do it in a, in a manner that uh, facilitates climbing the rest of the day.
2: So equalize, that means that you have redundant points on your anchor, and they, the two redundancies need to be equally loaded. So that makes sense. Redundancy, well, that means you have more than one anchor point, right? Mm -hmm. And then the no extension is if you lose an anchor point, you don't want the whole thing to drop five or ten feet before the next redundancy catches you Mm -hmm. because that shocks the system and it could drop a a climber farther than they want to drop, right? Safe, strong means your anchors need to be 5,000 pounds. You've got to think about what would hold your truck, right? Mm
0: -hmm.
2: That's crazy. And then timely... That means you're able to do it in a, in a manner that you don't wear yourself out just setting your anchors. You have enough time left to climb, and it's something that's achievable to do, right? Correct. Okay, did I get it all right? What did I mess up on?
0: No, you you nailed it. Um, it's a really good acronym to remember, and uh, I've been using it for years. I don't even really think about it anymore. It's just I, always, I just go, yep, equalized, redundant, no extension is here and here, and I just run through it without running through the acronym, I just look at an anchor and that's what I'm looking for because of how long I've been looking at anchors. And when you're starting out, going through the acronym every time is really great. And uh, asking people about their anchors, uh, if you're a newer climber and being like, hey, can you explain if you've never seen an anchor before, can you explain this to me? Like, I'm new to climbing. I'm just really curious about it. And uh, could you walk me through the way way that you built your anchor? Uh, You'll learn a lot that way.
2: Yeah, that's cool. I have uh, seen a lot of people with some pretty lousy anchors when I go out where people like to climb, and it always scares me. I don't know it, if people feel safe with, with lousy anchor systems, but what do you do when you see someone that's doing something that's really unsafe?
0: So that's that's hard. Um, I do normally try, if it's something where it's like, okay, that's you're really putting someone in danger, someone's life in danger, I will step in. Um, like say someone's lowering, uh, with a device and they don't have their hand on the brake strand or something, I'll, I'll step in, um, <laughs> right. with anchors and stuff though. Uh, sometimes, you know, you, you have to read the group, you get some climbers that are very much not open to help, not open to ideas. Um, and so you, you don't really want to create a situation and step in if you don't need to and, A lot of stuff will work for a while um, and work most of the time, even if it doesn't meet those Ernst requirements. But I do, I have tried to help people. Um, For example, I was climbing this last weekend and some guy got up to uh, an anchor and I was sitting on a pillar across from him and he was just going to clip to one of the bolts and lower. And then he was going to bring someone up on a top rope and he's like, oh, I just don't have enough gear to build this anchor. And he did have enough gear to build an anchor, a different anchor that he didn't didn't know. And I, I tried to explain to him, like, hey, do you want to know this, there's a really cool trick that I can show you how to use all your gear for to, to build that redundant anchor. Because he did say redundant. He knew what he was looking for. And he just went, no, no, I'm good. I, I've got it. And ended up not building a redundant anchor and, and lowering off and having someone top rope on it. And you can be nice and try and extend it, but try and extend your your offer to help. But don't be surprised when people don't want it. Um right. that's just something I learned in the climbing world.
2: Well, I've told this story a couple of times on other shows, so I'm sure that longer term listeners have heard it before, but had an instance where we we're doing some sport repelling and a gal got in trouble on the cliff and I needed to borrow someone else's rope that was nearby and because of the urgency I just grabbed the rope and repelled down to help the gal. When I came back to return the rope, I saw that they had tied it to a one-inch tree root. That's what my anchor was. Oh, no. And I rappelled over 100 feet on that. And it taught me a very serious lesson. Yeah, the anchor held. It was holding for them. It held for me. But, you know, it doesn't matter what the emergency is. Safety first. I should have checked out their anchor before I used their rope. And uh, the whole situation... Was bad. I learned a lot of lessons from it, but there's an example of what not to do, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely.
2: Yeah, it was really, you know, I was fine when I was helping her, but when I got down and saw what I was repelling on,
1: it, it shook me up a little bit. I'm sure you have tried some freeze dried and dehydrated meals before, but I promise you, you've never had anything close to as good as peak refuel. Uh, They make freeze-dried meals, which is different than dehydrated. It takes way less water to cook. It cooks a lot faster, and they cook the meals before they put everything together. A lot of companies just throw all the ingredients in there, and when you cook it, it's the first time it's ever been cooked. With them, all the flavors have cooked together. It's super tasty, and you can get 20% off by going to peakrefuel.com and using the code at checkout ASP20. Seriously, give them a shot for whatever adventures that you have planned this year. Back to the gym
2: to crags. So you were just talking about setting anchors and we went into this Ernst acronym. Awesome. Really good understanding now, I think, of what anchors are. What else do people need when they transition from the gym to the crags?
0: Yeah, so anchors. And then I I touched on knowing how to clean a route safely. And I emphasize the safely part because, again, I see a lot of people at at crags, especially beginner crags that you can walk to the top of and like lean over the cliff and like barely clip, clip the anchors and clip your anchor onto the two bolts at the top of the climb and then drop your top rope down. Uh, and that makes me really nervous because we have a lot of accidents every year, especially in North America. Um, and this year it was even, unfortunately we had a, a guide who wasn't clipped in at the top of a climb and, and just fell off this edge. Uh, so it makes me really nervous to see people leaning over these edges cause they don't know how to safely set a top rope and then clean it. And they, and the same for sport climbers, you see a lot of people go up and they're leading and they get to the top and they, they clip in with either with like a, a poor PAS or something that isn't the safest or Best way to do to clean an anchor um, and that's really for me where I think a lot of the risk is is when you're transitioning either from climbing to repelling if you're cleaning from going up and cleaning down or reaching over an edge to either grab a rope pull an anchor off or put an anchor on to something and so learning how to do that safely is is very important Um, There's a lot of skills, a lot of things involved with that.
2: You know, the OSHA requirements, um, I I know a lot of sport climbers just kind of laugh when they hear what the requirements are for height safety that is required if you're in the workplace. But it's worth noting here, it used to be that if you're working within six feet of a six foot fall, you had to be roped up. They've now extended that to, I think it's within 15 feet of a three foot fall. There has to be a railing or you have to be roped up. And you think, mm-hmm. really, 15 feet from a three-foot fall? But there are instances where things happen. So what you're talking about is if you have to lean over the edge of something, then you better set up a safety system behind you somehow so you can be roped up when you go to that edge.
0: Absolutely. And that's a skill that a lot of people, including myself, like I absolutely was guilty of doing that when I first started climbing. Um, So, and yeah, I've learned, since then learned how to set up rope systems to allow myself to get to the cliff edge safely and then get back safely where I'm roped up the whole time. And it it really has made a, made a big difference in, in my climbing and, uh, in my like comfort level with being around cliffs.
2: It seems to me that most accidents, and you alluded to this earlier, but they happen when we let our guard down. It's not actually when you're climbing. It's it's when you let your guard down. You think, oh, I'm not climbing right now. And that's when yep. people get hurt.
0: Yep. That is a lot of them. So, yeah. yeah. No and uh, the best way to learn how to, again, to do these, I can talk you through it, but it's really the best way to learn these skills is to, a lot of your local gyms offer gym to crack classes now. Um, there's videos online. And then you can also, like, finding a good mentor is is very important. I know I say that people say that all the time. Oh, find a mentor and it's difficult to do. Uh, but if you can find someone that, that can mentor you or even that can, you guys can have, they have some knowledge and you have some other parts of knowledge and you can kind of teach each other things. It's really important in that when you're climbing to have people that, that know stuff that you don't and are willing to teach you. So that way you, you learn and continue to, to grow in your, your toolkit and your safety. So, uh, Talk to your local gym, watch videos, but just watching videos, I strongly advise against just watching them. Like watch videos in conjunction with having a partner that knows what they're doing or going with a guide or going with a gym. It's very important to get some sort of hands-on instruction from an experienced person. Because the videos, while a lot of them are really good, you can miss a lot of very there's a lot of very subtle things going on that are easy to miss. And if you don't have someone watching you and correcting you. Um, things can can go poorly.
2: Yeah, I was going to say, a video can't watch you rig up for the first time and give you a little recommendation, you know? So, Mm -hmm. yeah, that's that's really good. So, where can people find guides?
0: You can go on the AMGA's website, American Mountain Guide Association website, and they have a list of all their certified guide services. Um, I mean, we have this great thing called Google Now, where you can really just Google guide and then the area where you want to climb or the area where you're looking to climb either the crag or the city and they're they're really great I know when I first moved up here I actually hired a guide because I didn't have any climbing partners um yet I wanted to know the area and you know I still and he ended up teaching me quite a few little tricks that like I was doing everything safely but he took some of my skills that went from like okay to where i was doing them like well and the best that i could be so it's really useful to have someone that's spent a lot of time out in the rock watching you and helping you and you'll you'll get to avoid a lot of the struggles that you see other people get into um i myself personally experienced some and it's just these little things where it's like oh yeah no don't don't clip in that way you want to turn your carabiner just this way and put it over the anchor or under the anchor or just these little minute details that they've picked up over the years and they pass them on to you and you have a much better and easier time climbing in my opinion so
2: yeah yeah good word good word well if someone wants to gear up to start climbing i know there's a lot i mean you can spend money on gear for years so it's something that can grow with your sport but to just get started minimally what do they need
0: so mentally, you go outside. Um, of you course, you need shoes. Um, some sort of climbing shoes. And then up from there, a harness and a chalk bag with chalk in the chalk bag. I've seen people come to Crags with just a chalk bag. And they were confused because their hands didn't get any dryer or, or they saw <laughs> it. they were just putting them in there. And I was, like, confused as to what they were doing. They didn't realize that they needed chalk. Um, some sort of belay device with a locking carabiner. Uh, so, an ATC, a Grigri, a Virgo, there's a whole bunch of them out there. Uh, if you're looking to lead outside, 12 to 16 carabiners will get you by in a lot of areas, but always check your route to see how many, how many uh, quick trawls you need. Um, along with that, yeah, you're going to need an anchor with four lockers. Uh, so, if that's a Magic X or a quad, or uh, a, an anchor with just a BFK tied on the end. A whole bunch of options there, but some sort of bomber anchor that we, we've we discussed meets the Ernst requirements. And then uh, if you're going to clean the route from below, a personal tether to tie into the anchor to set up the rappel, a rope, and then a helmet. And the reason I say you need a helmet is helmets really help per- protect against rockfall, and they, they do... Assist if you do go inverted, um, but a lot of the times it's, it's people dropping gear or um, even if you're climbing a super clean, well-climbed area, rocks break loose. They erode, they, they fall off, they fail. Uh, an animal above you or a climber walking on top of the cliff knocks them off. Um, so a helmet's really important, And then, but if you're just top roping, all you really need are, uh, you just don't need the quick draws and you, you still want to bring everything else. Um, and knowing how to, how to rescue yourself is also really important. If you do get into situations, I know we've got a clinic at Bankate here next on the 20, next Wednesday, uh, the 29th, I believe, 28th uh, on self-rescue. And it's a totally free clinic. Come in, learn how to do your self-rescue and that reminds me you also normally want a uh, a prusik cord of some type on your harness to use as a backup when you're rappelling or if you do need to to uh rescue someone having a prusik is very very nice
2: so for those that don't know a prusik is a cord that's generally a smaller diameter that you can wrap around your rope and it it can act like an ascender or something to hold you on the rope in an emergency situation mm. like
0: that yes yeah. yeah exactly so those are kind of your, your basics, If depending on which route you're going. I know a lot of people are like, they like leading in the gym and they want to go go outside and lead. Or you get a lot of people that like just top roping in the gym and just want to go outside and have a good time on the wall and uh, keep top roping. So either one of well, those is a great place to start.
2: I think the beauty of top roping is that you don't have to have all the anchors for lead climbing. And let's talk a little bit about those anchor systems for lead climbing. Uh-huh. So,
0: so you do want to about? use... All the anchors I discussed, you're going to use top roping and lead climbing, like at a um, a crag that has bolted two bolted bolts at the top of the climb to hang anchors off of. Um, there's not really a big difference between them, but uh, you you'll have like so the quad, it's an anchor made out of cord. You make a giant loop and then you fold it into fourths, so you have four strands, and you tie two limiter knots one on either side of the strands, and then you clip two carabiners in the two loops on each side above the limiter knots, and those carabiners are your wall-side or bolt-side carabiners that actually go into the two bolts at the top of the climb, and then you clip the other two carabiners through um, two and two strands uh, between the limiter knots, uh, two different strands, and then you flip those opposite and opposing, meaning that the carabiners are the gates are facing away from each other and that they're not on the same side. Like you can't easily put the rope through both. You have to clip it through one and then bring the rope to the other side of the the backside, so to say, and clip it to the other one. And then you can lock your rope in. And that's a very strong, redundant anchor. Personally I'm personally. sorry.
1: What you just
2: did is you just gave us the reason that we need a guide.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> because, you know, as you're going through that, it's, uh, it's a lot of stuff, and that mm-hmm. stuff matters. It matters to do it yeah. right so that, that everything is set correctly. So thanks for doing that. And I know that a lot of listeners are like, whoa, what was that? Rewind, huh? How do you do that? Get a guide, <laughs> right? That's what yeah. it's
1: about. Time for a quick message break. So you know the show is brought to you by Camp Crate. They specialize in self-guided, pre-planned, All-inclusive backpacking adventures as well as trip advice and as well as camping gear rental. So if you're in need of any of that stuff, reach out to them at campcrate.net. Very helpful and very knowledgeable. It's a great way to try backpacking for the first time or to scroll through their list of itineraries if you need some ideas on where to go. They will literally send you all your gear, your food, permits, coffee even, in a box to your front door. Use it for your trip. When you're done, return it with the pre-printed included return label. It's that easy. It makes backpacking and getting into the backcountry very approachable, very simple. Give them a shot. Now, back to the episode. What about setting protection, though, the pro that you use?
0: Oh, so if you're, if we're going to go into traditional climbing, because um, basically everything I've talked about so far is under the assumption that, because I, I don't really know anyone I've met that's went from the gym to placing trad gear. So right. traditional climbing, gear you're, you're responsible. You put gear into the rock, and then you take the gear when you're the person climbing after you will take the gear out of the rock. And that that person climbing after you will be on top rope um, on an anchor that you built by putting more of these cams or nuts or hexes or all the the wonderful traditional gear that is available. So it's very really, important to before you start trad climbing is to learn that one has even more knowledge you need to learn you want to be a competent sport leader you don't want to be start trad climbing and be leading 510 in the gym and trying to lead 510 outside on trad gear because you have to take time to to figure out what piece of gear you want to put in this crack and that will keep you safe if you fall and you want to place good gear and learn what that means so Uh, trad climbing is a whole nother ball game but it is that is what i really prefer to do and what i really enjoy doing is it's more of an art form because i don't feel as constrained to well i have to clip that bolt and then i have to clip that bolt it's like well i'm going to climb up here and then ooh look this looks good i can place this here or a nut here or a cam here and then i'm like i think a nut's going to be best for his protection and put the nut and then you move on and Next time you need a piece or you find a good place to protect, you, uh, you repeat the process. And to me, it, it adds a little bit more freedom to climbing. And I really enjoy that aspect of being able to play, place my own gear. Not that I, I spend a lot of time sport climbing, but trad climbing has kind of been my, my passion for a long time.
2: When you're doing that trad climbing and you're setting your own protection as you go, I, I mean, it really feels to me like a whole other level. And I think people can they can enjoy climbing for a very long time, top roping. But once Absolutely. they get into that world of, of hexes and nuts and, and cams and setting that as they climb, you really have to have a lot of skill. you got to be stronger too because you have to be able to have a free hand to set that protection properly while you're hanging on you know, with your other hand. So it, you're going to be working with only one hand gripping the rock and you're going to do that a lot.
0: Yeah, I definitely, I climb about a grade and a half lower when I'm climbing on trad gear than when I'm sport climbing um, because of that Mm. and other variables.
2: Yeah, I can totally see that. Totally see that. Well, how does setting this protection, how does it actually keep you from falling? You mentioned you're placing it into grooves and rocks and stuff or or cracks in the rock, but what keeps it from slipping back out? I mean, if you can put it in, why doesn't it just pop right back out again?
0: There's two main types of, of trad pro. It's there's active protection, which is those shiny cams you see in the in the gear shop with like they're all anodized and like a trigger and it, you squeeze them and they move. And you've got passive protection, which is stuff that doesn't move. You're literally just like sticking it into a constriction or a slot that will hold it. and those are your nuts and your hexes um, are like your basic uh, passive protection. and so with with nuts and hexes, what you're really looking for is, a, some sort of constriction in the, in the crack it starts like either wide, like wide at the top and then ideally tapers down and closes up. Um, so say it's like an inch, inch where you put the nut in and it constricts down to like a half inch at the bottom. You put a nut in there and you just kind of guide it down and pull on it and you clip it to your rope. And then when you need your follow comes up to remove it, they're going to reverse that process where they're going to push it up and bring it back up and out of the crack. So you're really only protecting in the direction of the fall most of the time. So if you were to fall upwards, the nut wouldn't, in that scenario, wouldn't really hold, but gravity's a thing, and we don't normally fall upwards. So um, that's nuts. Hexes you place very similarly. There's a couple little different nuances with hexes uh, than, than that basic nut placement I just described. And then with active gear, like, like cams, you actually squeeze the trigger and it causes these lobes to compress and they get smaller. So you, you have, you go from like having a two inch wide piece of equipment to say an inch and a quarter and you put that in there into the crack and then you let go of the trigger and the lobes then re-expand to hopefully not two inches, but say they're now like an inch and three quarters to an inch and a half wide at their widest point now and that allows you to, that holds the cam in there. And then when, you're, when your second comes up, they squeeze the trigger, compress the lobes, and pull it back out of the crack, ideally.
2: So those cams are pretty slick. Um, mm-hmm. But I know that they're a little bit more expensive. And yeah. I, I guess the question I have is, do they feel as secure to you, knowing that there's some sort of an active mechanism that's moving around or do you prefer something like a, a hex or a nut?
0: So it really depends on what I'm climbing. Um, overall, and I think this is true for a lot of climbers, cams people feel a lot more secure with than nuts. They're mm. <clears throat> they're much easier to place, and you don't need that constriction or that to find that little perfect spot where the nut's not going to get pulled out if you were to fall cams it's like if there's a crack and uh it's kind of parallel pretty much parallel if you can get a cam in there uh and it has adequate contact on all the lobes and you've got a good range on it it's gonna hold uh it's a really cool uh piece of technology and so yeah most climbers do prefer and cams because otherwise if they didn't there wouldn't be a market for them with how expensive they are um oh yeah Uh, We sell a lot of them here at Bentgate and some rocks, like slicker rocks, or when it's wet or snowy, I really prefer um, passive gear because then I'm not relying on the friction as much as I am just being stuck. Um, Because cans are all all dependent on friction, and that's why the lobes are designed the way that they are, is to create a normal force um, that then is translated into a friction that is about two times uh, the force applied in the downward direction. They're creating a frictional force that is twice that in the upward direction. Uh, and so they're pretty safe. But again, if that friction is compromised for some reason, slick rock, water, moist snow, someone putting grease in the crack for some reason, uh, <laughs> oh, no. then then you don't really want to be placing cams.
2: Right. So when you're placing a hex or a nut or something like that, you have to find rock that's shaped the right way, that it lodges in there, and it's not going to come out. And so Absolutely. even if it's slippery, it's still locked in there, and it's not going to come out. I get it. But cams are easier to place, and on good rock, preferred is what you're saying. hmm Yeah, that's yes. awesome. So I'm sure a lot of people are saying, well, how much does all of this gear cost? So we don't need to talk about exact prices, but roughly... What's an entry-level rope?
0: About $160 for kind of your your basic entry-level, non-dry-treated, non-buy-pattern uh, rope. It's going to be just as safe as any of the other ones. It just doesn't have some features, and it tends to be a little heavier and a little thicker.
2: Okay. How much for the anchor system?
0: So you're looking at four locking carabiners, so about 7 to $14 a carabiner. And then, uh, like, fifteen dollars of some sort of cord to tie it all together. So you're looking around eighty dollars for the anchors for a good anchor system. Probably a little cheaper, but that would be a really high-end, really nice locking carabiner setup. Okay. Uh, shoes. Uh, you're ranging anywhere sixty to hundred. No, sixty to like two hundred dollars. And so that one's really up to you with what you want in your shoes and how much you want to spend.
2: Mm, Harness
0: seventy four, I'd say, is a good median price point. You can get harnesses as cheap as fifty five, and they go all the way up to one hundred forty four from Arcteryx. Mm. And then uh, helmet. Helmets, you're looking at fifty around sixty bucks up to around one hundred and eighty again, depending on the features and what you want in your helmet.
2: And then you're going to need more carabiners and a friction device like an ATC. How much is an yeah, ATC?
0: Your, your basic ATC is going to run around $20. Um, a Grigri is around $110, 120 um, And so, yeah, that's kind of your price range. You can get $40 or $50 ATCs and uh, price one goes up from there. Your average Non-locking carabiner, you're looking around five or six bucks. Um, and then quick draws, you're looking for six, you're gonna pay around fifty-five to seventy-five dollars, is kind of your your entry-level quick draw set of six. Uh, but individual quick draws, you're looking around eleven ninety-five, I think, is the cheapest one we have here. Um, but around yeah, ten to eleven dollars for a singular quick draw.
2: So describe a quick draw real fast. I don't think we've done that yet.
0: Oh yeah. So a quick draw is a it's two carabiners that are connected together by a piece of webbing called a dog bone. Um, on one end, of the side that you clip to the to the bolt or clip to the piece of gear, um, the carabiner is just through a loop and can move around really easily, and on the rope side, uh, there's normally a gasket of some sort that holds the carabiner in its orientation, so when you go to clip the rope, you're not like, the carabiner's not flopping around on you.
2: Okay, thus the quick draw.
0: <laughs> yes, quick draw, correct.
2: Right, that's what makes it easier to to use mm-hmm. it, and to get the rope in it and all that kind of stuff. Yep. We covered most of the gear that people would need, but they don't necessarily have to buy all that gear all at once. You get together with people who have some gear and make sure it's all in good condition, but you can share the expense. And like you said, it's it really is a, a team sport. You're not going to do this mm-hmm. by yourself because you yeah. have to have someone to do the belaying and to make it safe. So you go in with some buddies on the gear and, and start building your own collection, working with the guide. The guides will provide a lot of stuff for you too. So. Mm-hmm. Um, there are ways to get started for a whole lot less, but what you just outlined, I did not add that up as you said it. I didn't write it all down, but it sounded to me like for 500 bucks, you could be pretty well equipped.
0: Yeah, and if you look at it this way, most of that gear, if treated correctly, is going to last you around five years um, is when you, you kind of start. Look, manufacturers will start recommending retiring certain products. Um, so five years. 500 divided by five is about a hundred bucks a year. And over 12 months, you're spending less than $10 a month to have the freedom to go and climb all over the place. And cool thing about climbing is there's very few places that you actually get charged to go climbing. Um, there's a lot of crags you just go to pull up and you can go have fun for a couple hours, go for weekend trips. And have cl- go climb all weekend, and you're you're really only spending money on gas and food at that point, and you were gonna do that anyway. So it's really, if you look at it, it's a long-term investment. It's not as bad. Um, and you if you can't tell, I've told myself this a ton of times when I've been <laughs> needing to purchase gear. Uh, so it's very well rehearsed in my head about, oh yeah, you know, it's you're gonna have this for a long time. It's really not that expensive. It's, I mean, a Netflix membership cost. I don't even know, I'm like eight or nine bucks a month. So you're you're spending about as much as you would for a Netflix membership uh, yeah. on your climbing gear if you, you want to look at it that way.
2: And I so. look at it another way too. You say climbing gear and I say, this is how we manage the risk. This is how we get out there and have amazing experiences on the rocks without putting ourselves in harm's way. So mm-hmm. you can't really put a price on that. If it's something you're interested in doing then it's worth investing in the gear that's going to keep you in that uh, risk managed position is is what I like to say, because the word safe is misunderstood, right? But that risk managed position. So it's worth it. It really is worth it. So man, the overview that you just gave us gives people a really good insight into what's involved with getting active in climbing and Obviously, there's a lot of how-to and knowledge and experience that needs to go along with the information that you provided and with the gear, you know, that you talked about. So that's where the guides come back in, and that's where the clinics that you hold, you know, come mm-hmm. back in. So how can people find out more information?
0: Yeah, uh, our clinics. You can go on our website, bentgate.com, and you'll you can go to the schedule and see what sort of clinics we have we're offering i know just this month and then our, the first week of next month we're doing like i said the self-rescue clinic and then the next clinic is going to be a um, an intro to multi-pitch and i mean that's a really great opportunity to work with a guide get a feeling see like hey do i want to keep working with this group with this organization or work with this specific guide and um, get some good information and be like yeah let's go out and you know you can teach me some things and you know, you don't have to spend the whole day with them, you know, hire them for a half day, a couple hours and just go with a group of buddies and split the cost that way. And just guides love stuff like that because they're, then they get to teach. They get to, they know that you're there to be instructed. And so they're, you're, they're there to, to really help and pass on their knowledge. And it's, it's really, they really, most of them tend to really enjoy that, um, because it's, it's just so different than just taking someone out who wants to go climbing once and then tell their family back in the flatlands, wherever they're from. And they're like, oh, my God, I climbed this. But when passing on the knowledge, it's, it's a really cool experience as a guide to, to get to do that sort of thing. so
2: You know, I'd like to make another recommendation for people who say, I'm not into technical rock climbing. I like to climb mountains. I like to hike up 14ers and 13ers. I like to go backpacking. Maybe I scramble around on the rocks a little bit. I really don't want to get into the technical rock climbing. I'm going to say this, go to one of these clinics anyway, learn some basic skills, and then get some sort of a emergency only rope that you can carry with you. And the reason I say that is I have found myself in situations just when I went out for a day hike where I'm like, oh crap, I could really use a rope right now. Yeah. It's easy to do. So if you get the knowledge, you might find that you love rock climbing and and it's like a whole new world for you. But then again, it might turn into, you know what? I've got some rope in my pack and maybe it's not 100 meters of dynamic climbing rope, but it's something that I can use to get myself out of a bind and I know how to use it. That makes you a much safer person when you go out into the wilderness. So I'd say go for it. Why not learn a little bit more about the sport so that you can just be that much safer?
0: Yeah, and if you're like an ultra runner or something, just having a rope that you can repel off of opens up so much terrain. I know, especially in the Front Range of Colorado, carrying these little lightweight six mil repel lines, you can then go and run these ridges, and most of them will only have, if you go one way, they just have repels. So you run up, wrap, keep, go, keep going on your run, and you get to access some really cool peaks that way that otherwise would have been inaccessible without that knowledge. So, yeah, that's a really good point that you made there.
2: Yeah. Very cool. Well, man, we're out of time. I really enjoyed talking to you about this and, and we went a, a fair bit deeper and more detailed than we've gone about climbing in the past, but mm-hmm. I think it really opens up the the whole world of climbing to people so that they know what's involved. And, uh, so thank you very much, Nolan, for taking the time to open up our eyes to what climbing is all about.
0: Yeah, Kurt, it was, it was awesome. I'm um, really I love sharing my knowledge and sharing my passion for the sport with with people and if you have any questions about climbing you can always call the shop um, just give Benke a call or come in and talk to talk to us a lot of us are climbing guides on the side and we'll absolutely be willing to to help you and talk you through things or make recommendations and I've taught people in the shop how to build that quad anchor multiple times they come in and are like I need an anchor can you show me how to do it? And I'll sit there and work with them to get them to get them to the point where they can tie and build the anchor themselves. And then I send them on the way knowing that I've now made one more climber that much safer. So.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah, very cool. Well, I love the way that Bentgate does things. Thank you, you know, for uh, being the kind of shop that's not just shoving gear at people but helping people to get into the sports more learn more about it you hold the clinics you do the different workshops uh we appreciate that very much so
0: very cool stuff man yeah kurt thank you so much for having me
2: yeah you bet and for all of our listeners out there thanks for listening in today and man this rock climbing stuff is so much fun give it a shot you might find that it is the sport for you until the next show get out there have some fun
1: First of all, thank you so much for listening to the episode. Uh, secondly, if you would like to get in touch, you can leave us a voicemail at 812-MAIL-POD. You can also send us an email, info at adventuresportspodcast.com. Get a hold of us on Facebook, Instagram. Contact us on the website. Like, There's just a thousand ways to do it. If you know somebody that would make a good guest for the show, whether they're, whether it's you or somebody you know with a really cool story or background or does an interesting sport, get in touch. We'd love to have them on. Also, if you'd like to be a patron, aka a supporter of the show, patreon.com slash adventuresportspodcast. You can sign up for as little as a buck a month. You can sign up for five bucks a month. And lastly, thank you to our sponsors whose messages follow right now. If you want to save 20% off the best backpacking food on planet Earth... Go to peakrefuel.com, and at checkout, use the code ASP20. So after all of this outdoor talk, if you're looking to plan your own getaway, head to backpacktribe.com and get ready for your next adventure. They have customized gear bundles and free shipping, and they'll be able to get you ready for any adventure that you want to tackle. Check them out, backpacktribe.com.